Tonight, an arrested development you can't miss. A cavalcade of stars. The shocking final moments will be presented live. And one of these people will die. Welcome to Gimmicks, a podcast about the high-concept, experimental, structure-breaking gimmick episodes of TV, from musicals to noirs to a canceled show throwing out every last-minute ratings grab gimmick imaginable. I'm Derek B. Gale, and who's with me today? This is Joel Arnold, a comedy podcaster and sometimes a person who talks about TV. Nice, nice. Now, hey, Joel, if you had to try one of Lindsay's meals... Which consists of either hot ham water, cream soda, or chicken and chicken sauce. Which one would you pick to try? I'm immediately thinking which is the least detrimental to your health. (laughs) And I don't know the effects of like baking soda straight up in the body. But that that is something that goes into baked goods as opposed to salmonella water. So I I have to go with her cream soda. Yeah, I th- I've, I've think baking. So- I've had baking soda in water. I've heard helps with like stomach aches or indigestion okay, sometimes. Yeah. So I think it's mixed. She mixes it with milk, right? So maybe I don't know what that does, but oh no, straight. See, I, I'm lactose intolerant, so already <laughs> they're they're. You're just choosing the least worst option. Yeah, we are of course talking about Arrested Development season three, episode nine, entitled SOBs. For those of you listening who are unfamiliar with Arrested Development, it was a cult favorite sitcom originally running on Fox for three seasons from 2003 to 2006 and was then revived by Netflix in 2013 and then again in 2018 for two more seasons, so five in total. Created by Mitchell Hurwitz, who's the story editor on Golden Girls, and then went on to co-create Lady Dynamite after Arrested Development. The show follows the formerly wealthy and dysfunctional Bluth family after they deal with the loss of their family fortune. And is known for its ensemble cast of just like breakout actors who went on to do a lot of amazing things. Voiceover narration by Ron Howard. Intense serialization, running gag, self-referential humor, and just like complex and layered storylines that make it like... A critical darling that like won a lot of awards and was always well reviewed, but one that just never really got it in the ratings, <laughs> unfortunately, uh, hence leading to a pretty quick cancellation. However, uh, it is still really well known, launched the careers of the Russo brothers as directors, uh, launched the careers of a lot of other actors and is highly influential for a lot of single camera comedies that came after it. But otherwise, uh, Joel, what's your personal history with Arrested Development? Yeah, so I had to think back because I, for a while, just had these on DVD. And I was like, what was the origin point? And I remembered uh, some, like, high school dance, like one of the big ones. I think it was after Homecoming in 2004, 2005, because I got in before the third season was on the air uh, in, like, mm-hmm. late 2005, 2006, where, you know, with my family, I'd watched a lot of... We only had you know, like the five channels. We only had network TV. We didn't have cable. So Mm -hmm. we watched a lot of what was on, which I think 
you know, at the time, still now, probably a lot of procedurals, a lot of dramas, a couple comedies, but that would have been like Seinfeld reruns. That was mostly my thing. My parents didn't like comedy much. So when I saw this, this is my first like single camera sitcom that I saw. And we were just like watching some episodes that uh, the one guy's house that we went over to this group of friends uh, after the dance uh, I was just like watching this and I think yeah, I remember it has something to do with Marta it was a Marta like arc mm. and I was just blown away because like the joke density uh, how clever it was how kind of smart it made you feel as an audience member with keeping up with the pace of jokes uh, both like callbacks and uh, you know jokes happening within scenes and I just like had to know more I like ordered the DVDs and yeah, I think I was caught up by this time season three aired so that I don't know if I would have seen this episode live because it was mm-hmm. the show was being moved around the schedule so much by Fox. Uh, but I definitely got the DVD when season three came out and just really just like loved the show. I didn't love when it uh, came back in season four and five, but I'm glad that uh, we got a, kind of a taste of that or that the show was vindicated you know, posthumously uh, for that stretch of time. Um, And yeah, like you were saying, like launched the careers of so many talented comedians and I think influenced me in my taste for sure. Like, uh, you know, 30 Rock and It's Always Sunny would come out the year after and I think I was starting to get interested in them because of a show like this. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, it was so influential for like stuff like 30 Rock and like community. And I mean, I think to this day, I'm sure there are things like it. It. it I feel like it's very. it was very rare and even still is to have seen a comedy, like a, what is ostensibly a sitcom that like trusts its audience as much as this show does, you know? It's just sort of like, yeah, no, you are smart enough to follow with just this, these ridiculous yeah. storylines that we're doing. Um, and these like really dense jokes, and these episodes are so dense. This wasn't one that I watched when it was originally airing. I remember when it came out, and I don't think, I don't think that Fox had the best ads for it when it first started <laughs> yeah. because I remember seeing the ads for it. I distinctly remember I was watching like American Idol or something like that, and there was like you know your Fox like narrator, the same narr- uh, the same like a- a- announcer that they have like in this episode it was like tonight on Arrested Development, the dad of the Bluths escapes prison dressed as Santa in a smock, and I'm like this show sounds fucking stupid, like what? <laughs> and so I never gave it a chance, and I wasn't familiar with any of the people that were on it either. Like I had never seen any of David Cross's work ahead of time, like anybody who was recognizable on it, I had no idea who they were. So I had like no like touch point for it. Yeah. It wasn't until a few years later, uh, some of my friends were into it, particularly uh, Tommy, who's been on this podcast a number of times, uh, was a really big fan of it as it was going on and had all the DVDs for it. So like, I was recommended it uh, after it was done airing. Um, And I think it wasn't that long. I think it was maybe like 2009 or something like that. I I think that's probably when it first like got onto Netflix probably. Um, And so I I just watched all through it then and fell in love with it and like was like, oh, okay, this is what people have been talking about. I totally get it now. And like I was diehard, you know, from there. Um, I think I've watched through the original run of the show a couple of times. I was there for the fourth season. I do. I stick up for the original cut over the fourth yeah. season a lot. I do think that that season is better than it gets credit for, like at least in terms of its ambition. And I think like 
it's not as funny as the original run of the show, but like it is still very smart and very clever and I love the structure of it. I think the recut of season four is horrendous. I think it's really (laughs) bad. And then season five, I didn't think it was the worst thing in the world, but I never finished it. I was just kind of bored. So, you know, um, and I think I I don't, which I don't know if that's really uncommon with people. I feel like everybody's just sort of like later race arrested developments, revival seasons, like whatever. Like I feel like it's just kind of, trades it ends up being kind of exhausting at the end of it yeah it seems to be the consensus and i think also what was coming out from news at the time kind of put a pall over wanting to check that out with with allegations against jeffrey tambor and kind of yep jessica walter talking about her tough time on set at times and yeah i i think yeah yeah it didn't have a good vibe at the time but i'd be curious to go back to season four because expectations at least for me were so hyped and i knew that they couldn't exactly recreate it but kind of the format was so different than what i expected i was judging it unfairly on those terms i i wonder appreciating it on its own merits if i would like a little more like there are a few individual gags that like still stand out to me as like the the kernel of them the joke is still very arrested development yeah and you know like it's such an endlessly rewatchable show. It's like you're always discovering new things. I think season four is kind of the same way too. Like, especially once you know what it all is leading up to, then the earlier episodes that maybe aren't as funny. Like you're like, Oh, I understand that they're setting this up and that's funny retroactively. Like that's kind of the whole show, right? It's just the way that it sort of is consistently building on itself in a way that is just so brilliantly done, you know? Yeah. And that, yeah, it's interesting to see with season four and watching, uh, one of, Mitch Hurwitz's follow-up shows, uh, Sit Down, Shut Up, which I I think I was like jonesing for some Mitch Hurwitz several years ago and watched that. And he really Mm -hmm. is interested in not just like joke density, but joke complexity and trying to build on complicated formats that is not always successful, but when it can really be combined with, you know, great casting and, uh, stories people are interested in or or you know a sense of humor that people are interested in then yeah i mean lightning in a bottle can happen like with uh the first three seasons yeah yeah you got to appreciate the big swings that he takes in his stuff for sure when ron howard turned his talents to television we knew his show would be special oh securities and exchange commission they have boats but we never imagined this. It's the fall's best new sitcom, Hilarious. <laughs> the one, the only must-see sitcom, the funniest new comedy. Usually, critics' quotes are only good for one thing. Shredder? No. Save it. Save it. Shredder. But ignoring these would be criminal. I'm having the time of my life. Hey, T-Bone. Arrested Development. Series premieres Sunday, November 2nd on Fox. These are just some of the good things America's critics are saying about Arrested Development. It's the fall's best new sitcom, Hilarious, the smartest and sharpest comedy of this or last season, the funniest new comedy on the fall schedule. The question is not so much will it make you laugh, as how long will it make you laugh. Now, in an effort to give everyone equal voice, these are some of the bad things people are saying. Exactly. Don't miss what everyone is calling the best new comedy of the year, Arrested Development. Premieres Sunday, November 2nd on Fox. Get ready for Fox Laugh Out Loud Sunday. First, Brad Pitt is Boomhauer's brother. Oh, Lord. On the King of the Hill season premiere. Then it's the all-new Simpsons Treehouse of Horror. And Malcolm's family hits Vegas with David Cassidy. Those aren't for you. Pass them off. Plus, it's the premiere of Arrested Development, the show Time Magazine calls the fall's best new sitcom. I'm having the time of my life. Hey, T-Bone. 
Fox Laugh Out Loud Sunday premieres at 736 Central tonight. With the episode we're talking about today, it's really fascinating because it is so deeply tied into the legacy of the show, right? Like, I feel like one big part of the show that is always going to be part of its story is like, oh, this was just a fledgling cult show that like, if you really love comedy and really love TV, you're going to love it, but not enough people watched it. It was always in the bubble of cancellation, just was not treated well by the network, blah, 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 blah. And so I, I like that this particular episode is in just such a direct conversation with that aspect of it. Um, but then just like happens to also be like right at the tail end, right before the show just ends completely originally. Yeah. I love that. Like I, you know, this makes sense given how the episode, you know, feels when you're watching it, but it was validating in learning about some of the production history to learn that season three had been scaled down from, 18 episodes to 13 episodes and then they had gotten the notification that they'd be canceled before the last five episodes had been produced so this would have been the first one before or i guess right after getting that news and the last four kind of would be the arc ending the show tying up storylines so i love that they just took one to really get it out yeah it is this is almost just like their yeah this is their direct response to that it's sort of like you're canceling us all right well this is this is just us letting out our feelings about it like the title sobs it could be you know sons of bitches it could be save our bluths it could also be like sobs Sobs, as in crying because your show's getting canceled you know it's kind of that yeah it's so interesting and then it's like even worse i don't know i don't know what the timeline would have necessarily been for how things were scheduled out like versus when they were writing it but like there is also something to the fact that like there's this episode that airs and then the last four episodes all air on the same night opposite the opening ceremonies of the winter Olympics, which is obviously going to like slaughter the show and the ratings when the show's already not doing good in the ratings yeah. anyway. So like in a lot of ways, this is like the last episode that they would probably expect anyone would really, any new viewers might actually be watching would be this episode, not anything that comes after it, which makes it even more hilarious that not all of this is happening. Yeah. This airs on, uh, looked it up January 2nd, 2006 on a Monday. And then, yeah, they take more than a month break and dump the last four on a Friday opposite the Olympics. Um, And like those long breaks were just par for the course that could not have helped them. Of course. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting to see after this, like years after this Fox make more of an earnest effort at comedy with like the Mindy project, new girl starting with Brooklyn nine, nine there. But at the time, just not want to support anything like this at all. Yeah, I mean, I do think that a big, a big reason for Arrested Development not, work, you know, not not being success, as successful as it could have been is because it came out like you know around the time of American Idol and stuff like that. Like Fox was really hitting it hard on reality TV at the time, and I don't and I don't mean to just like you know be like reality TV ruined television or whatever. Like that that's 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 its own <laughs> conversation or whatever. But I do think that like. There is something to like the particular audience that Fox was seeing was responding to to the particular content that they had and something like Arrested Development that is kind of a show built for like comedy and TV nerds like that's not what they were looking for at the time right so it it all makes sense I mean the fact that it got three seasons on Fox honestly I think is kind of amazing <laughs> at all probably only because it was such a big award winner so they knew that they were at least getting like cred for that on that end you know and based on everything that I read and like interviews with like Hurwitz at the time and everything like there wasn't really like bad blood with Fox necessarily even though Fox was like consistently cutting them down because like you know, the, the show wasn't good in, ra- like, 
was proved to not be good in ratings to be fair you know so it just wasn't really maybe maybe it wasn't a show built for a network you know yeah i think some of the cast have also talked about like they wished there would have been more consistent scheduling or advertising but yeah, yeah whatever the reason it seems like uh he would like herwitz would go on to have uh sit down shut up which was an animated show reteaming some of the mm. cast on fox uh later work with them for I'm not sure if Running Wild, Running Wild might have been NBC, uh, but yeah, he, he continued to work with them, so that was always an interesting wrinkle before I kind of understood more. I was just like, okay, well, he, like, it's fun that the episode positions you in a way as the audience to, like, really feel on their side and kind of yeah. not knowing more, like, blame Fox because they don't have a place at this network anymore, and you're like, okay, well, maybe they right. can go somewhere else. Um, and But I, I love that throughout the episode the theme of okay we could adjust ourselves in these five different ways to make ourselves more sympathetic more appealing more clear cut but you wouldn't want what that is like that wouldn't be this show and so we're going to go out on our own terms yeah and what i find so fascinating too is that like you know i I feel like you could watch this episode and just be like are they really trying to like get fans to (laughs) to really save them like is this for real like they're really that desperate they're really like trying an honest attempt at just being this crazy like is is this is this their way of having a ratings gimmick episode like for real and based on everything i read it's like nobody nobody was actually taking this seriously nobody thought that the savior save our Bluths campaign was actually going to work which I mean honestly like makes it all even funnier that this is happening in an episode um, like I was reading some interviews with uh, with her it's like right after the show was canceled um, and, you know and, and there had been I think negotiations all throughout the last season potentially with Showtime picking it up like that mm-hmm. that was a real thing real conversations that were happening and uh, like honestly the articles are less like oh they didn't want us and more like they wanted the show. I uh, Hurwitz just wanted more money. <laughs> it's just like I wanted to get paid. And also, like, I don't know, maybe maybe I haven't, maybe I've sort of reached, maybe I'm kind of creatively exhausted with the story I wanted to tell anyway. Like, he says that verbatim. So I, I think that it maybe was sort of like, you know, if this if I've got to try this hard to make this show work on Fox anyway, maybe I don't really feel like trying that hard at this point. So I think by the time this episode really comes, like, this is... This is sort of their swan song, but like nobody's really trying. Nobody's really trying or expecting this to actually save the show, you know? Yeah, but at that point, they've been canceled and they are in negotiations with Showtime who want them. But it sounded like from even uh, like interviews with Hurwitz and oh, the interviews with Hurwitz are a little bit interesting because I can see if he, yeah, it sounded like he was creatively drained also. That's what he yeah, said. Yeah, but right like after he's got canceled. he's got that an could agenda. Could also been like, yeah, that could also be him like saying that you mm-hmm. know like to you know to feel better about the cancellation. Yeah, there's like some legacy yeah. building going on, and I'm sure how he talked about it in some interviews, like in 2006, would be different than how he reflected yeah. later on. Because I think one of the things they said is like, well, I could he could do it for less money, which would mean maybe less cast and it wouldn't look and feel like Arrested Development. And that makes sense that he wouldn't want to continue. He wouldn't want to give fans the same quality that had been given up to that point. But, you know, I think with more money, his mind changed because yeah. with Netflix, essentially that was season four. Like yep. it, their cast isn't all together. It's yep. more, it's a different animal. But yeah, I, I like that he is was open about this. And I don't know, as to like whether or not these things would have worked, I think 
it generated me as a viewer uh, such an affection for the show and probably yeah. helped with, you know, everyone would talk about for years. I remember just like, oh, if we could we ever get a season four of Rest of Development? And it was mind blowing news when shows didn't frequently come back uh, for like a legacy sequel that season four yeah. was going to happen. And yeah, I, I remember watching this episode, though, with kind of a, a sense of disappointment that mm -hmm. the gags weren't what they were promised to be like the celebrity cameos end up being just like a shot <laughs> and like the live is yeah. a shot so like there are these elements that are hyped up but i was like oh well that's just designed to be like disappointing because like hey you think these yeah. things that are exciting these will not be exciting even if we put more effort into them they wouldn't be this show <laughs> like they yeah. would be they would feel kind of empty and not feel so good on a rewatch. It'd be like, oh no, I know what happens. I know who dies. And it's it's the woman who plays Ethel from yeah. Parks and Recreation. <laughs> it's such a beautiful fuck you to the audience. And like, you know, one that I think if you're, especially if you are a viewer of Fox content at the time, it's sort of like, oh, I've seen all of these things on other shows, not necessarily all at once in the same episode, um, but like all of this stuff and the way it's presented, like the way the announcer is like, tonight someone yeah. dies. Like that was so, that's still, that, that probably still happens on network TV now like it's this it's it's the so, like obvious transparent ratings grab bullshit um but I, I i love and i love like the fuck you of it all where it's just like like what if we did do that though like what if we did it and it would suck and it does suck isn't this like the worst part of the episode you know it's hard for me to think of even like another show where in streaming or on dvd that they include like metatextual promo like a promo lead-in from the network because like mm -hmm. that's the, yeah like you were saying the fox announcer voice like the fox background they were using for promos at the time like tonight and i'm just like yeah, yeah. It, it's like it's part of what they're delivering to you it's great i i, I love it and you know what's funny is that i, I haven't rewatched any arrested development like in in quite a while i think partially because like season five kind of bummed me out and stuff um so it's been a long time since i've revisited the earlier ones i didn't remember how much stuff that I love comes from this episode specifically <laughs> like hot ham water, all the Andy Richter stuff, like so many, so many like little jokes that I remember vividly, like from as being instrumental to it. And I'm like, Oh, that's from like the tail end of the show. I didn't realize that it was from this episode. I found that canned ham that we'd had forever. And I put it in a pot of boiling water and guess what I'm calling it. Soup? Hot ham water. Oh, I'm so hungry. Would you like to try some of this? Mm. So watery, and yet there's a smack of ham to it. It's hot ham water. Yeah, for for at least for me, like watching it around high school and rewatching it a couple times in the years after. Yeah, it's funny to go back to something like kind of formative to comedy like this and think of all the like the quotes that the people like the small group of people at my high school would have been saying to each other, but that have like stuck with me. <laughs> like, yeah, the delivery of hot ham water like like so proud like she's discovering it for the first time really stuck with me yeah. and just that exchange with um with buster too with tony hales uh like the way he really just puts the sauce on smack of ham like that that stuck with me too it's so good it's so good i don't i don't really have a lot of other background stuff anyway so uh we're already talking about some of some bits from it um so we can dive in to talk more specifically about this episode. Now the story of a wealthy family who lost everything and the one son who had no choice but to keep them all together. 
its arrested development. If you're listening and want to watch along with us, this show is streaming on Netflix currently. The episode we're talking about SOBs synopsis for IMDb is actually pretty hefty, which makes sense because uh, this show is very dense. Uh, and that synopsis is George Sr. suggests a last ditch effort to save the family by holding a fundraiser to raise money to pay their legal expenses. Fundraiser to raise money. Yep, that's what it is. Michael suggests to Lindsay that she take over the housework and she sends George Michael to an expensive boarding school. Meanwhile, maybe has trouble with a snowboarding film and Tobias tries to be a disciplined daddy. Oof, Okay. Uh, the original air date, like we said, January 2nd, 2006. This episode was written by James Vallelie and Richard Day. Uh, Vallelie was the producer throughout all five seasons of this show. Uh, so that includes the revival seasons uh, and also wrote and produced on Golden Girls, Till Death and Two and a Half Men, among other things. And uh, Day was a producer specifically just from this season up through season five and then became a producer and writer on The Drew Carey Show, Spin City, Roseanne, Mad About You and Dog with a Blog. One of those doesn't really fit that list, but sure. <laughs> this episode was directed by Robert Berlinger. He directed on Golden Girls, Third Rock from the Sun, Sports Night, Dharma and Greg, Gilmore Girls, and The Wizards of Waverly Place. So two, like, uh, was Dog with a Blog Nickelodeon or Disney Channel? I don't know. But, like, two of those, like, Disney Channel Nickelodeon child sitcoms, which is fascinating to me that they pivoted from this to that. But, yeah, yeah. So this episode, we already talked about it, but honestly, like, one of my favorite parts is literally how it opens, which is just the before credits or anything. It is just the announcer from Fox saying Arrested Development, you can't miss a cavalcade of stars. <laughs> the final shocking moments will be presented live and one of these people will die. Which, of course, does that like famous network TV thing of flashing literally the entire cast, multiple like major recurring characters, and also one old lady who we've never seen <laughs> yeah. before. Wonder which one's going to die. <laughs> and anytime cavalcade is used, that word, I mean, you know it's going to be good. Yeah, yeah. Big red flag. <laughs> the, the flashes that they show of celebrities in that opening are as much as you see of those celebrities in the entire episode. Really oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Most of whom I, I, yeah, I love those cameos because, you know, a couple of them are actors that have appeared before. Uh, most of them are actors that will appear in subsequent episodes. And then John Larroquette, who's been mentioned, but will not appear again on the show. Like, that's it. One thing I found about that, there's actually, so there's a Reddit AMA with like a writer's assistant, who I think was the direct assistant to Hurwitz back in like 2011 or something about this episode. Most of it was stuff that like we already knew. But one interesting tidbit that I don't think I'd seen anywhere else that they had John Larroquette there because he was slated to be in a season three storyline in the original like version before it got cut 13 episodes, he was going to have a sto whole storyline about being like stalked and kidnapped by Kitty as like her fake boyfriend. Uh, yep, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Which makes sense for him. But like, you know, since they, they, they were going to have to cut all that out. This is sort of the concession to at least get him in for this one cameo. Have, yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, also learning that Mitch Hurwitz was a writer on the John Larroquette show, which is a thing that existed. Um, but yeah, I remembered, I was like, Oh yeah. Kitty did talk about him once. Like, like, obliquely, she was like, a cast member of Night Court is looking for a meaty character role. <laughs> yeah, it would have been such a good pull, yeah. <laughs> and also Richard Belzer, I thought that he had been on the show before, but I guess the episode where he's Detective Munch and scrapbooking comes after, so he's uncredited. It does. And at the time, you could be like, well, 
I guess it'd have to be Richard Belzer and like was retconned to be Detective John Munch because otherwise, why are you inviting a Detective John Munch <laughs> to your party? It's so funny. Yeah, it doesn't really make any sense. <laughs> but also Zach yeah, Braff, yeah, I mean, good yeah. good get for the time. Height of Scrubs popularity. Mm-hmm. And I guess he was on an earlier episode as the girls gone wild-esque guy. Yeah, yeah. You got him and then, then Ben Stiller, of course, is already recurring on this show. So... Yeah, it totally, it makes sense. And it's such an interesting collection too. Cause it even, I feel like there's even another layer to it where it's like cavalcade of stars <laughs> and they're all just like TV people that would guest star in a network sitcom. Any, like they're nobody like not to like, you know, not to uh, discredit any of those guys. <laughs> they're all, they're all good in their own way. But like, I wouldn't call any of them gigantic stars or anything necessarily. Yeah, included like, in the montage <laughs> is John Beard, the like Fox local right. <laughs> news anchor who also plays a fictional news anchor on the show. Right. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. It's great. It's great. Again, just sort of like undermining just the typical ratings gimmick thing that you see all the time yeah. on TV. It's it's like right off the bat. It's fabulous. And then we get like the 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 first scene um, establishes a whole lot that we can, you know, and we can go wherever we want to after that. But the sort of premise for the episode is that like the Bluths have lost their lawyer. The headline for the newspaper is Bob Law Law Lobs Law Bomb, which uh, great law. Love it. Now, we're going to need a new lawyer, and that is going to mean about a $100,000 retainer. If we want a chance of keeping this family going past the next few weeks, we're going to have to pull out all the stops. What am I talking about? Talking about all of you getting jobs. Now, the best place to look Who threw the tomato? Like a show would need, like, money is for a fan campaign or something. The Bluths need money to raise to, like stay afloat essentially and like right off the bat the first like great joke that they have is a uh, 3d joke <laughs> where you see put on 3d glasses now flash on screen and then you get like the sort of like dual colored uh like two lens like 3d uh 3d whatever you would call it on the screen of like job throwing a tomato at the screen my question is if you actually had 3d glasses would it actually be 3d i know i i searched <laughs> I, I really wanted to have a pair to see if it would work because, yes, of course, they give you no prep time. It's it's not in the promo. Right. This is right. like, yeah, it's just calling back to like 3D would would go on to have more popularity in subsequent years, like with theaters, especially, but not not that kind of 3D. And yeah, these are just like the gimmicks <laughs> that would get you in the movie house like decades ago, like like the really kind of like like schmaltzy things to get you in the yeah. door, like. These are like the tried and true kinds of tricks. And it's like, they don't even use it. Like this is, this is, they use it twice in this episode. This first time is the only one that like sort of makes sense because he's at least throwing something at the screen. It pops up one other time in the episode and it's literally just like Andy Richter's twin brother walking through the door. Like that's it. Nothing even happens. Like, (laughs) Yeah. There's nothing. He's just walking towards you threateningly. Right. Right. Like that's it for the 3d, which again, I love it because it's such a fuck you because it's like, Oh wait, are they gonna do this like three D thing all throughout the episode? No, no, they're gonna do it twice, and one of the times it doesn't yeah. even make sense. So. And and it's gonna be Andy Richter, like terrifying action star. Andy Richter in a leather jacket, you know. <laughs> a couple other things in this opening scene. Um, the one of the other storylines that this establishes that we can we can event we can talk a little more about uh, later is that. Uh, there's a whole deal that like maybe Lindsay's daughter has been in, accepted into this like new age kind of feel goodery school called openings. Well, how the hell are we going to get a hundred grand? 
Well, I know this isn't exactly what you're looking for, but maybe it was just accepted into private school. And I've sent the check in already. No, that's not what I'm looking for at all. Michael, it's the most prestigious private school in town. Which is like, well, that has nothing to do with anything. How does it help <laughs> us like raise $100,000? Why are you bringing this up? Oh, yeah, so we can you know establish it for later. Yeah, she's got no segue. She just really wanted to tell people her thing. Yeah, and that way they've got it out there so they can... Uh, use that plot point later in the episode. But the other thing that uh, is more relevant is, uh, you know, Michael's like, how about, you know... You know, Lindsay, since you already sent the check, this is how you're going to pay for it. You're going to be in charge of the house from now on, okay? The cooking, the cleaning, all of it. You're going to put Lindsay in charge of the cooking? At least you'll lose weight. Joe, pal, how about you? Can you find some work? Oh, sure, Michael. As what? A waiter. Can I get you something, madam? <laughs> <laughs> I will have a vodka, though. What? Oh. Why don't you be like a normal sitcom family? I don't know. Uh, instead of this like unsympathetic, these like unsympathetic people that no one wants to watch on television. Mm -hmm. And of course, there's pushback about it, which is when George Bluth instead suggests that they hold a legal defense fund dinner. Instead of us all selling out and becoming housewives and waiters, why don't we have a big event? Some sort of save our Bluths type thing. <laughs> We'll throw a legal defense fund dinner. Ask for a donation. Yeah, our backs are against the wall, and it's just hard to accept that it's really come to begging. Sometimes it's the only way to stay in the game. Please tell your friends about this show. Which is a Save Our Bluths event, to which SaveOurBluths.com flashes on the screen. <laughs> which apparently was never registered, or at least by the show, which I think just shows, like, yeah, they, they didn't, didn't care. care. They, they, it, they weren't, <laughs> yeah, they weren't desperate like other shows might be with uh, trying to coordinate, like, leverage fan support for a canceled show like Firefly or something like that. They were just like, what, what, if, yeah. what if this existed? What if we wanted it this badly? Exactly. Currently, SaveOurBlues.com redirects to TV Fanatic's Arrested Development news page. Oh, good. So, oh, there's news still. Well... I mean, the page for the news that would have that, you know, right, right. maybe older news, <laughs> the archive for the news, I guess. <laughs> um, but accompanying the, the that the website, too, is the narrator, of course, saying, please tell your friends about this show. Yeah, that was, I think, the most the most meta thing I'd seen on TV up to that point. And yeah, yeah it's it's funny now to think about shows that more directly engage with their audience now but at the time that was like what a, sh a show can can like really tell you how much they're on the fringe of being canceled i don't know a good example might be gallivant would really lean into that in season two when they would talk about mm. even like the cancellation bear on twitter <laughs> uh like i appreciate when a show does that and i appreciate that the network let it go by i mean fox doesn't yeah. deserve like much credit but like a little bit of credit yeah yeah well it, it is interesting nowadays because like now any show's official twitter is just going to start the hashtag that that they'll want fans to use yeah. when they want to get saved you know like it's it's I mean, shows get canceled all the time still, but, like, it's at least easier to, like, try to get a fan campaign started. Like, I feel like it's almost inherent that a fan campaign is going to get started for anything when a show is near cancellation at this point because it is so easy to just get your hashtag and there you go. Yeah. But, like, you know, 2006, it's not as easy to do that. Like, some fan would actually have to start a letter writing campaign and organize something and register SaveOurBluths.com, <laughs> you know. Uh, so the fact that the show is sort of, like, acknowledging that that is a thing and, again, like not seriously doing it, but like acknowledging that it's a thing that exists and being like, no, this is a show that 
can only be successful by word of mouth at this point, y'all. So yep. like, you know, that's, that's all you can do. And what, and what is funny is like, I think like you were sorry referring to earlier, even though they weren't being serious about it, it does kind of light a fire under you. I think as a viewer, like I, I, I do think that arrested development only comes back when it does because fans keep this kind of stuff in their head. That's sort of like, but I should tell everyone about this show. That's great. And make sure people watch it so it can stay in the cultural conversation so that it justifies coming back 10 years later. Yeah. Yeah. There's like, it could have gone out without this episode and having the last four, just like tie things up and have been great and still be talked about. But I think getting you to watch it like this, this episode wouldn't, you know, wouldn't necessarily do that, but like how good people, you know, felt about the show, they'd talk about it to their friends. And then once you're three seasons in, thoroughly in love with the show and what it's doing, and you get to that episode, you'd be like, oh no, of course, this show needs to come back. Only 13 episodes. Like these were, you know, yeah. network seasons. So the first one's like 22 episodes. So these were like good, healthy seasons. And yeah, of course you would want it back. Like, yeah, it feels like this, like, call, like, as the ship is sinking, just like, don't forget us, it's possible. It's funny, it's, it is, it's funny, because it's, it's like, they, they, they kind of get, they really do kind of get to have their cake and eat it, too, <laughs> it's like, we're just doing this in jest, like, it's, it's the sort of self-deprecating, like, we're all gonna be canceled on anyway, none of this matters, but also, like, what if, though? Yeah, like, the same impulse with, like, <laughs> you know, Mitchell Witz being in an interview later saying like, ah, yeah, I'm creatively tapped out. The, the cast wanted to move on. I never wanted the quality to drop, but also leaving Ron Howard in at the end of the final episode saying like, maybe a movie. Yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. And I think that there are interviews of like her saying as much where it's just like, I mean, you know, a movie would be cool, though. Like, you could <laughs> easily make a movie happen. Like, I don't think he ever stopped saying that. I honestly, it's surprising that it wasn't a movie when it came back on Netflix, you know, at that point. So it's it's fascinating stuff. From here, I think we can kind of go anywhere because obviously the episode kind of cuts all over the place. I, I, I We've already talked about it a little bit, but like. Um, I just I love Lindsay's whole storyline in this episode and how that intersects with everything like it's like what if what if the the young woman in our show did like you know the young woman wife and mother type things like cooking and cleaning and she's just horrendously bad at all of it in the most absurd way yeah the things that she would this character would absolutely never do right including paying attention to her daughter and what she's up to which is uh, a great running gag you know, I'm actually a really good mom. I think it's because Maybe's never around. Did you see this letter? You know, it's done wonders for Maybe. Maybe is an exceptional young lady. Exceptional. We are sure that she is destined for great things. Great things. And we wish her luck in all her... Says over. You know, I'll probably have to crack this open to be sure, but this sounds like an expulsion letter. Okay, well, this is pivoting away from Lindsay, but I did have a unique experience on rewatching a couple years ago where I was suddenly recognizing everywhere that I had worked on the Fox lot where they had used like sometimes it would be for like, you know, in front of a courthouse, uh, in front of a bank, like think exteriors, things like that. But a lot of the scenes of maybe in like tantamount studios or wherever she ended up working for by the end, like would have been in like buildings on the 20th century Fox lot where I worked for a few years. And so it was, it was a strange experience and they're like, oh, okay. So they're using this hallway 
this like specific hallway that I worked <laughs> right next to. It's like, oh, okay, that, that well, that is a movie studio hallway. Or like, oh, this fountain. Okay, they're using <laughs> that fountain now as like part of the studio tour. Uh, yeah, no, that's relatable to no one else but me, but it was uh, changed my viewing. <laughs> it is still funny though, because it's like the idea of having one of your characters like maybe's maybe's like fake film executive like thing storyline like is spans like multiple seasons i think like it's a pretty long running story and so like it's kind of clever to like have you know you're gonna have to film a lot on film lots and in film studios that's probably the easiest place to film because you're already filming there anyway but you don't have to like dress anything up because it's like we're just going to put her on the film studio and the lot that already exists because it literally takes place in a studio and a lot. And that's where most of her storylines are taking place. Like, I find that very funny. <laughs> yeah. And I love how quickly she's like aged by that process, like in the show generally, like how uh, like seemingly cynical and fast talking she becomes. Um, just how she relates mm-hmm. to other people, like with using George Michael being like, okay, yes, great. You can read this for me. Like, <laughs> Just the transactional nature of, of Hollywood uh, and yeah. how, uh, I don't know, I guess how like smooth with uh, manipulating her parents and other people maybe becomes. Well, I thought it was a boarding school too. Actually, maybe it had been on the set of a film called Snow Boarding School 2 in her secret life as a film executive. Okay, look, first of all, Variety got it wrong, all right? We didn't even want this project. It was a co-finance with Miramax, and poof, Miramax is gone, and we're still on the hook, and it turns out Jimmy Kennedy can't even snowboard. Well, that's, I mean, I actually think that that's, that's such an interesting, like, kind of touch point for what a lot of this episode is talking about with how, you know, the Blues as a family are not relatable in a traditional sitcom way at all. And, like, yeah, having your 16-year-old <laughs> daughter who, like, on any other sitcom is going to be dealing with, like, school crushes and, like, are they getting good grades? Like, she's just, like, you know, has, has, has like, scammed herself a role as a film executive and, like, is, like, acting like she's a 44-year-old executive the entire time and everything. It's just, like, so the, the unreality there, there it is like so fundamentally unrelatable. I mean, the whole show I think like is built on these characters being completely unsympathetic and unrelatable in so many ways, but Stet's still like funny and compelling to watch. And like maybe is such, such an encapsulation of that. And like what this episode is in conversation of like, yeah, the only reason that the show is as good as it is, is because none of these characters like act like human beings that you actually would ever see on any other TV show. Yeah, and that they, like, they seem to like what they're doing, but they're just going to cause worse harm to other characters than if they were being more self-involved. It is That's, like, one yeah. unintended consequence, or, I mean, intended consequence for us to see that, that happens. Like, Job working at the country club has the effect of him, <laughs> like, making a pass at his mom, uh, serving... I mean, Lindsay serving the food, thankfully, doesn't uh, make anyone seemingly that were... No, that we're uh, aware of sick, but she does fix Buster's thumb. And that's what uh, the old racist woman chokes on. Yeah. I I think it's kind of, I want to, I want to, I want to give the writers credit that I feel like that was an intentional uh, kind of rug pull that they set up like Lindsay cooking, like chicken (laughs) that could potentially kill people. And that's not what causes the death in the episode. It's still the old lady eating something, but eating Buster's thumb by accident, not, the poisoned food, basically. Yeah, not, not the unintentional I, I think is very poison, funny. not the intentional poisoned food, the muffins. Right. It's just like, oh, yeah. And, she, and I, yeah, I love Ron Howard's uh, delivery 
as well, just like spoiling it early. It's like, oh, just to, so you feel better. She's the one who dies later. And he discovered that a little flirting helped oh, bring in the tip. If you didn't have a dog onset diabetes, I wouldn't mind giving you a little sugar. Oh, Job, you could charm the black off a telegram boy. Okay, we'll just tell you now. She's the one who dies. Yeah, yeah, because no, because that's part of like Job meets her and like he's basically Job's whole storyline. You could run through it really quickly. It is basically he tries to like just mess with with Lucille, his mom, by just like pretending to be a waiter. Like, ha ha ha, isn't this funny? But because she never makes eye contact with waiters ever, she never sees that it's him. So he gets stuck there working a job as a waiter, accidentally works a day in his life, which makes him like more like a relatable sitcom <laughs> character. Uh, but then he's like, but I can get more tips if I flirt with people he flirts with an old lady who turns out to be like extremely racist and then Ron Howard the narrator is just like yeah she's the one who dies it's it's fine nobody cares <laughs> yeah she I really appreciated her you know it's only a few lines but I feel like she nailed it and uh yeah, yeah as Ethel on parks and recreation is great also like the little scene I think they're like they've got to be streaming somewhere now but uh they were webisodes mm. At the, or like a web series at the time, Burning Love, which is a parody of uh, like the Bachelor franchise. She plays like they've got like people who don't belong on those kinds of shows as contestants. Um, and she, hmm. you know, like a lot of like hot women in their 20s and 30s. And then also uh, Agnes. <laughs> she does pretty well, though. She does pretty well in the competition, I will say. But yeah, very funny there. Yeah, yeah, that's great. That's great. She seems every you know every time I've seen her pop up in comedy stuff, she's always uh, a, a joy. She's always a joy to watch. Yeah. Oh, we should. <laughs> she has a name. Uh, Helen Slayton Hughes is her name. Cool. Okay. I I yeah. never knew that. <laughs> yeah, I was just like, but oh, that's, her. that's you know. And, yeah, consistently yeah. like knocking it out of the park whenever I see her. Yeah, rec recognizable little little character actor. I love it. I love it. It kills it every time. Very memorable. Memorable every time. Also in the the country club scene, like Jack McBrayer also showing up in pre Thirty Rock fashion. Yeah, yeah. I was I was surprised to see that in just like a little, just a super bit role, teaching Joe what the concept of tips are. <laughs> Very funny. After he gives him the tips, his like little turn, it like takes him a second to do like a full like 180 around a leave like just that note i was just like yeah i'm glad someone saw that i was like you've got the talent kid because it's it's so small but like it's done so well yeah no absolutely i mean like he is someone who's just very striking to see on screen like i feel like he has like a really particular energy to him that like you can tell that like no that is something interesting that's not just a background player <laughs> Uh, you got to elevate him to something else. Another thing in in while we're talking about Job's stuff, the really actually the only other thing from all of Job's country club things, it, it does lead to an exchange that I like a lot because Lucille finds out that Job is a waiter there because he like flirts with her and it's very funny. I can't tell if he's flirting with her by accident or not, but either way, she's horrified to see that her son is working as a waiter, just a lowly waiter. It's terrible. Guess where he's been getting his money? Is he following people to their cars again? He's a waiter! He is? Well, that's great. No, it's not great. Well, am I the only one that thinks that this family is finally starting to become sympathetic and relatable? I mean, that's what people want to see, you know? Lindsay's taking care of the house. Oh, I forgot about that. Tell the housewife she's not coming either. If you don't want her, you don't want me either. She's taking care of me. She glued my thumb back on. Sister's my new mother, mother. And is it just me or is she looking hotter too? Why don't you marry her? Maybe I will. We're veering away from relatability again. But then it like quickly devolves into every character like 
just talking about the worst parts of themselves and then it very much devolves into like veering away from that relatability that you know network executives are always asking for for a show like from a show like yeah this. in so many ways it was like influential on shows that would follow with unlikability being something that people would accept in comedies and also also ahead of its time i think so too yeah like i don't know that you'd get something like always sunny you know, if you didn't have a show like this, like it's interesting because I was thinking about I was watching because there's a lot of stuff in the show, obviously, that, you know, it came out in the edgy comedy time of the early 2000s. So there's plenty of jokes that don't really age well. Right. But it almost like it's still in a lot of a lot of times doesn't feel as bad as a lot of contemporary comedies, I think, because the characters are presented like from the perspective of no, these are awful people. You are supposed to think that they're awful. Sometimes they're going to say awful things and like, you're not going to agree with them, you know? And I don't think that there's any question about that when you're watching it. And I, I think that there's a distinction between that and like, even um, like Seinfeld before it, which is also a show that's about a lot of, a lot of awful people. But I think like, not a lot of people watching it would necessarily see that because they related so much to those characters at the same time. Like Arrested Development is like right from the get go. Like these are unrelatable, unsympathetic, horrible people. They just happen to be extremely funny to watch and played by very funny people. And so you're kind of watching it in spite of that anyway, you know, there's an element to it where it could feel familiar now to someone, you know, if you're watching Succession or Shit's yeah. Creek, but Shit's Creek, you know, takes a different approach where they want to, over time bring out the humanity in these people and, and yeah. see them change because you've got like this immense wealth and self-interest, but then also seeing them down on their luck and kind of scrambling is satisfying. Mm -hmm. But I, I like that one. I like that they never change. Uh, but also I think it's more palatable because I don't know, unlike other sitcoms where the characters are unlikable, they don't, fuck over that many people like they don't like really mm. just ruin lives yeah. that much uh it seems like most of the That's damage is to each other and it also doesn't stick so it's easy to jump back in and be like okay well they're you know if one of them kind of gets ahead or sort of one ups the other like they're going to be punished but also not in a way that's you know like, like they still have money like they're still pretty comfortable yeah it's a delicate balance yeah no that's that is a good point though like this is a show that you never really like feel bad for anyone else in the world because everyone else in the world of the show recognizes that the blues are awful like the, the, the nobody no like nobody else in the, no one in the show the audience or anyone else is sympathetic to the blues and i think there's sort of like power in that like that allows that allows the show to get away with a lot more uh, you know, a, a, a lot more bad stuff within the blue sphere because you know that it's sort of like, uh, these are bad people. We know that. That's very explicitly clear. That is the entire point of the show. And yeah, like you said, like the consequences aren't, are never that bad. Like it's, it's all kind of going to be okay in the end, you know? Yeah. And even the, the characters who aren't that bad, like I think George Michael is a good example of that where he's, yeah, a little more innocent and he's got, a crush on his cousin but other than that isn't like too bad of a kid and i think yeah is like protected from that largely and kind of when it reaches him more uh i think in the last few episodes that just is an opportunity for growth and for him to kind of be his own person so and i think like i don't know like yeah. Lucille too would be another one where sometimes 
the characters were uh you know a little mean to her but like she would one-up them so like most people made it out okay from their interactions with the blue but like well not maybe in season four and five i feel like someone dies in that season but uh, <laughs> i'm forgetting now i think, I think it opened does. with a murder someone definitely but i does. don't remember who died i'm sure it was fine yeah yeah most of the time it's those things are fine yeah 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 it is interesting what you say about george michael too it's because it, there's like there's points about him where it's just sort of like this is a little yeah. bit creepy but then also he's like 16 i guess so like it's not that big of a deal and he does to his credit, I do like he grows out of it. Like that is one of the things that I like a lot about the revival seasons is that I feel like the show ends up being reframed of like, no, actually Michael kind of was also kind of a weirdo and bad guy too. Like George Michael is the one who actually grows and becomes kind of the hero of the story Mm, in an interesting way. And I think because he, and, and the thing that he's able to grow past is like, the creepy, less likable stuff of like the you know, sniffing Maybe's neck while he's like <laughs> while 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 they're like looking over her letter and stuff. Um, like that stuff, he gets out of that once he's an adult, and then he ends up kind of being like the one good person out of all of it later on. Yeah, something that it's I did appreciate that season four did was lean into Michael's, which seasons one through three did a little bit. Uh, his kind of obsession with. Like, it's a little bit self-serving that he wanted to be needed. Mm-hmm. He wanted to keep the family together. But, you know, it wasn't always to the, you know, George Michael's benefit. It wasn't always to his own benefit. Uh, it was often unhealthy. And when that spins a little bit and maybe he's not needed or, you know, what he's doing to be needed or in order to help them. Yeah, I can I can see how that would be something that would be revealed later on. And I'm glad that they played with that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I like, I guess what, what we're talking about, um, um, there's, there's a whole storyline with George Michael in this episode that's kind of threaded throughout it. And that, that storyline, this is the one that's, that it's like in a lot of ways, probably the least has like the least of the like gimmicky stuff in it other than the Andy Richter part of it, um, which the is still five Andy Richter brothers, all five Andy Richter brothers. I'm Donnie Richter. I have a brother named Andy. He's an attention hog. He can't seem to really attract a real audience, but I love the fat SOB anyway. Oh, I thought you looked like that guy, Andy Richter. You guys are identical twins? Identical quintuplets, actually. There was Andy, the show-off, Donnie, the sensitive one, Cherith, the flirt, Rocky, the risk-taker, and Andy's stunt double, and Emmett, who asked that we not show his picture, although composite photography tells us he looks something like this. Which is such a funny, weird joke. You know, like, he's uh, he's actually credited five different times in the credits at the end of this. He is credited for each brother individually in the end credits. That's amazing. <laughs> and, oh, I, I took a look at the IMDb, and it's, it's Donnie. Uh... <laughs> Self, as Andy Richter, self pretending to be Emmett, um, Cherith Richter. <laughs> the second time that the first name Cherith has been used on the show. Wait, really? Because I think you had Cherith Cute Story is the fake name that Michael gives to Julia Louis-Dreyfus' character when he's pretending to be a maritime lawyer. Oh, that's amazing. I totally forgot about that. <laughs> and then uh, Rocky, the stunt double, it's uh, actually credited as... Rocky Richter Wang. So he hyphenated. Oh, interesting. That is so funny. I love it. It's such a bizarre joke to have. But uh, but Andy Richter kills it because each of his each of his characters are very distinctly different the way that he yeah. plays them. 
like the way that the Andy Richter of it all happens is because one of Andy Richter's brothers, the the soft one, is his teacher at this uh, school openings that George Michael is at. Um, and there's this basically like there's this whole thing where Lindsay was sent to openings when she was a child. Uh, she, they supposedly poisoned her against her father, it, like poisoned her mind against her father, right? By teaching her like new agey feminist ideals. I said to the teacher, I said, you poison her, I'll poison you. George Sr. did more than just say it. He sent the man a basket of poison muffins. Do you know the muffin man? There's a reward in it if you do. Then, would you like some foam in your coffee? It's called a cup of Kino, and wait till you see what it costs. And that's kind of like this this whole this whole premise of it is is like is uh is the school going to poison George Michael against his father like it poisoned Lindsay against her father basically? Yeah, and George Michael is aware of that because it was memorialized in the uh, I think like why we were afraid <laughs> of the seventies, which is like mm. another unadvertised uh, but brief cameo from. Oh, what's his name? Andy uh, Dick. Andy Dick, yes. Oh, no, it could have been the Muffin Man. They never caught him. How do you know about that? I, I saw it on Why We Were Scared of the 70s. And whatever happened to the Muffin Man? Remember him? I always pictured a giant six-foot muffin trying to eat me while I was eating him. It's kind of a fantasy I go to a lot now. And the, the precise right amount of Andy Dick. Very, okay, very yeah. not too much, as he's recounting that he had, like, nightmares of a muffin man coming to eat him yeah. as he was eating the muffin man. The perfect, the perfect like person to pull for a parody of those, like <laughs> I love the seventies type VH one shows. It's like exactly the kind of comedian that you would see on, on those shows at the time. Yeah. I did not need more <laughs> Andy Dick and also t- for it to be one based on fear. <laughs> just, just really just great casting always from rest of development. Absolutely. 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 Th- this, this basically sort of gives an opening for the Andy Richter brothers to be part of the story. Essentially one of the tasks that George Michael gets is to like, just write a letter uh, to express himself, like write a letter letter to his father, but he doesn't know how to express himself. That's kind of part of his character that he's just very <laughs> neurotic and everything. So he ends up getting maybe to write his letter. Uh, and then when he reads that l- letter out loud, which is very like, you know, <laughs> mean to his, she doesn't like her dad for good reason, I think. Uh, <laughs> so Michael overhears George Michael reading this letter, which is like <laughs> really horrible to hear out of context. When he noticed his son expressing himself rather well. He pretends he's the great father all of a sudden and acts like he's all worried about me. But it turns out he just does it so I can help him with his joke of a career. No wonder mom wanted out so bad. Oh my God. God. Like what's the last line? Like no wonder mom wanted out, which is like (laughs) horrific to hear considering she's literally dead. But so that, you know, that gets Michael to think that the school did actually poison his son against him. Like his dad warned him. So like he (laughs) threatened, he goes to threaten uh, the teacher at openings, but then runs into the real Andy Richter. So then like, well, you're a celebrity, so I can invite you to our, you know, our, 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 our Bluths event because we're trying to, to get celebrities to that. And it's so harsh. It's so harsh on Andy Richter because his response is just like, oh, is, you know, what kind of money are you offering? He's like, well, it's a free dinner. He's like, sure. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. I think like there are also in references, I think there's a show that Andy Richter that was like built around him that also where he, he played multiple versions of himself. So they're referencing that. But also they're like regrettable fat jokes against yeah. him a few times. And I'm just like he participated in this. And I think it's engaging with the perception of Andy Richter 
to like raise his profile and also mm-hmm. just to be funny but i'm just like oh we don't need to be so mean to andy richter he's such a nice guy i mean like yeah like i appreciate the self-deprecating humor that he obviously was in on for it um because this 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 type of joke doesn't come without andy richter being involved in it (laughs) right uh but yeah it is still sort of like yeah you don't need to be that mean to him though (laughs) like he's not uh yeah he doesn't really deserve that but while we're while we're talking about celebrities too one one bit that i don't want to pass over that i love uh, because when they are talking about planning this event, the way that they get to inviting celebrities is like one of the more meta parts of this episode, too, because there's this conversation that Michael and George have. So what's going on with the fundraiser? Well, uh, I don't think the Home Builders organization is going to be supporting us. Yeah, the HBO is not going to want us. What do we do now? Well, I think it's showtime. I think we have to have a show during dinner. Hey, we can have some celebrities in, you know, Oscar winners like... Uh, Nicole Kidman. I don't want to just round up a bunch of famous people that have nothing to do with our family. It's some sort of cheap stunt. I mean, what's that got to do with us? Uh, love just like the name dropping of all the potential premium channels that could have potentially picked up the show, right? Yeah. Another thing that I'd never seen before. And I was like, you can you can do that? Yeah. Yeah. Well, the way that it's just so elegant, like, it's funny because it's like, it's both elegantly and not elegantly, like, interlaced with it, Yeah, right? it's the like, precise amount of, like telling you it's doing this right right like what they are saying is awkward like it doesn't really it, it is weird the, it is such a bizarrely written thing to just be like yeah the hbo isn't gonna want us well it's showtime but like it is still impressive how it is still worked how they work in the acronyms and everything into just the conversation even as like purposely clunky as it is like i love that um it's it's just so very on the nose and then they're sort of like well you know i guess you know we can uh we can we can invite some celebrities to the event to which michael says i don't want to just round up famous people that have nothing to do with our family as part of a cheap (laughs) stunt i mean what's that got to do with us which you know if you watch like most sitcoms or like latter era simpsons like that's exactly what happens all the time is just getting celebrity guests for attention because it looks good in the promos oh yeah i i learned recently that elon musk i think there was a whole episode built around elon musk being cool on the simpsons not uh not not good for them not their finest to be fair that was a while ago i think it was before a lot of the worst stuff about him came out oh okay okay (laughs) not that he was a great guy then either but you know there's no excuse now i give him a little bit of leeway back then but also not at the same time because like come on (laughs) y'all not the greatest yeah i remember when guest stars on that show used to be like alec baldwin and ron howard i remember they were an episode Mm -hmm. i think together Together, and they like had takes on their you know public perceptions and (laughs) now it's just sort of like let's invite the person on and and talk about how great they are yeah uh not great (laughs) not great i think there's also is it this scene where they mention the idea of like getting like a higher profile celebrity like a nicole kidman which i it seems like it was a reference to having Charlize theron in her ocean walker arc i think i think that that was a reference to that too because i feel like that was very well that was like very promoted at the time um as like their big get for a celebrity too and i don't know like nicole kidman seems like on the on a parallel sort of plane as Charlie's throne. So yeah, so I think that yeah. probably makes sense. I'm kind of curious. Did that it worked for me up until, you know, like I was so shocked with the reveal that they were trying to pull off with the Charlie's Theron character. Did that work for you? At the time it did. But 
it's one of those things where I think, I think like as I was watching it's sort of like, Oh my God, this is brilliant. But then I think it's like the more you think about it after the fact, it's sort of like, was it though? I don't yeah. know. I, I, it's been a long time since I've revisited it too. And it, obviously it's like that, that it has aged so, so poorly since then. Like that was I yeah. think, the last time I think you could get away with that type of story on TV and not just be like burned at the stake, you know, <laughs> like it's, it's very regrettable, even though I do think like, I appreciate the like, conceptual idea i guess for some of the wordplay and it wasn't just one episode they invested multiple episodes and making that happen and there's still call there's even callbacks to the mr f like song like in this episode like when george michael is is at the school i think they're describing the grading system and they're like you either you either learn and get an l or you fluctuate and you're learning and you get an f and then the mr f song plays uh which yeah. is I, like i do as much as that that storyline's kind of regrettable, and again, I haven't revisited it, so like I don't know how I'd feel now, even trying to like separate it out from like the problematic aspect of it. I do, no matter yeah. what, love the callbacks to just like the Mister F tune. I think that's so cute. <laughs> yeah, I think it was just as a as a concept, it was executed well for me, in that I did not expect the rug pull because who would expect that? Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think there are definitely things about the show that benefited from it not yeah for for better and worse both sides for it not being in the age of social media that we're in now yeah it's definitely the kind of thing where like if there's someone who's never seen it before it's like i like you have to kind of recommend the show with a bit of an asterisk asterisk you know like just remember that this was made between the years of 2003 and 2006 and that was definitely a time (laughs) to be living in there are some there are some choices (laughs) Yeah, the homophobia not as as strong, but yeah, I think that's a, a thing I'm finding myself doing a lot of. Like, even like a show that would have come a few years later that I really enjoy, mm-hmm. uh, Happy Endings. I'm still like, oh yeah, some things still don't age well, even though it's uh, a show I love. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, you have to do it with the you know, it, it's 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 like it's I don't I you know I don't begrudge anyone who's just sort of like I can't deal with it, but also I do think that there's merit in like the writing that happened around it and like knowing the the place that it took the time that it took place in, like every single show unfortunately was doing those kinds of homophobic and transphobic and mm-hmm. <laughs> racist type of like ironic they were the show wasn't like racist racist, but it did have a lot of ironic racism in it, like like Franklin the puppet and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Where it's like, we're not racist, we're making fun of racism. And it's like, but you're still telling racist jokes though. Like it's not really it doesn't really work like that. But again, like every single yeah. that was just what comedy was at the time, unfortunately. And you have to kind of like take that for what it is, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. And I'm glad it's a small part. Yeah. Yeah, because there's just, yeah, there's so much other incredibly, like, strong writing and everything outside of all of that. And so much that's funny about the show outside of all of that stuff, you know. Well, just in terms of line readings, we were talking about George Michael. And another one that stuck with me, even it's it's not funny, but it just, I felt like, showed authenticity mm-hmm. from George Michael. And it was, like, a good stepping stone in terms of, like, breaking through to expressing himself more uh just how he adds like man at the end of like telling off his dad that he doesn't res- that hey dad you don't respect me so dad you, you saw that i thought you didn't know what i said about you well that wasn't exactly the truth but don't worry i know you don't have anything bad to say about me well no you know what i think donnie was right i just wasn't digging deep enough and you know i think i might have meant what i said you never listened to me you didn't ask me if i wanted to go to the school you didn't ask me about what i said you threatened my teacher you don't respect me how can I respect you, man? And 
just like there's a beat and it's not even played for comedy but like i don't know that that always resonated with me of just like adding that and standing up to an authority figure yeah i know it's, it's kind of cutting because it's sort of like making it very clear like no you're on my level man like where mm-hmm. i'm not i'm not looking up to you right now uh, you know, like you're not respecting me. I'm not respecting you back. And it's not in a way that is like directly disrespectful, but it's clearly like you are putting them on the same level as you, which is not where he was before. Yeah. It, it's a subtle, it, yeah, it's a subtle little change, but yeah, I, I like it. It's a good, it's a good line reading just real, real quick. I always love Tobias. I love David Cross. I love the little <laughs> disciplined daddy mini story that he has in this episode. And I just, I, I love that he does kind of weirdly accidentally kind of connect with maybe (laughs) over like the weird gift bags because he actually is tapping into something that she is good at, which is like, she knows how to impress actual film executives and everything and casting agents and casting directors and can actually kind of help him out. There's a new daddy in town, a disciplined daddy. Oh, it's a, it's a parenting tape. If you want to skip school, that's fine. You'll just come to work with me. But you don't have a job. All right, here. here I'll tell you what we're going to do. We are going to stuff each one of these gift bags with a headshot, some glitter, and a decorative hand soap. And we're going to send them to every casting director in town. And don't forget the funny notes. I know where you live, haha. Casting directors hate this. They really do. Even though he doesn't realize that she's helping him out. Like, I think that that's actually kind of cute. Yeah, she throws him a bone. And yeah, it's interesting to like engage with, you know, how much the show would give you in terms of like sentimentality. I think I, my own viewing of it, I would only ever feel that between George Michael and Michael. Yeah. When they would finally like have like a breakthrough, you know, father son moment. Like they do a little bit here and as they do at the end of the series when or season three at least when they like connect and are like honest with each other mm-hmm. but yeah just it's interesting that otherwise as a viewer i feel like pretty disconnected from having any sort of like emotional relationship between the characters which is good because yeah. it allows me to just be fine with them treating each other so horribly um yeah yeah i don't know do you do you like have other like feelings of affection or like tenderness for any character interactions in, in this episode? No, no, not really. <laughs> no, or, not at all. Or the series at all. No, no, not at all. And I, I agree with you. I think it's kind of for the better, like any, any sentimentality would feel kind of false. Like I, it's, it's, it's one of those things where it's like, if you wanted to dive really deep, you can be like, is every single character on the show a sociopath or something like that. But it's like the show's <laughs> almost like asking you to not care about that. Cause it's just sort of like, these are barely like real people is the thing. <laughs> like you kind of, that that's sort of the buy-in of the show is that you're not going to get authentic human interactions here. Like that's what makes the show really funny is the absurd things that they say and do to each other. And because they're not like based, they're not real humans. They're not going to have real human interactions. Sans Michael and George Michael, who are supposed to be the closest to like real people that you get on this show. You know? Yeah. Referenced in this episode, like you were saying earlier, is them losing uh, Michael's wife, George Michael's mom, to, it's barely discussed. I think it's cancer. I think so. Um, I think it might be brain cancer. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, I think that is so barely discussed yeah. that 
it it just doesn't register. Like I think maybe early on when they're kind of getting a tone and I think they would engage with characters emotions of you know how they're actually doing as people a little more and then they become flattened over time in a good way yeah i think for this show but yeah i think it, it was striking to to hear that played for a joke because i was like oh yeah they do have this like you know i don't know thinking about another show like deep space nine from star trek like mm-hmm. it's a big deal that it's just like this father and son kind of absent of this family member and this show is also that but like we never think about it right right and even in like the maybe in tobias thing like i feel like i i have to pull a lot to be like that's kind of a cute moment because because like really the way it all (laughs) plays out is that like tobias is just very annoying and his way of being disciplined daddy is like hey maybe help me make these like gift bags for casting agents that are full of glitter and threatening notes that i don't understand are like threatening and terrible and she's just like okay, I'll help you, but now you're annoying me, so to get you off my back, I'm going to get you a gig through my connections without telling you. Like, it's all so, like, cynical and transactional anyway. Like, it's almost, like, accidental that it's kind of, like, a cute bonding thing for them, you yeah. know? <laughs> it all feels so, like, sugary. Like, I it never... I think maybe that's one of the issues I had when I watched it, at least, with season four, where I think yeah. each character mostly removed from each other, they were more occupying not the real world but like some semblance of it more sure i like felt more like the sadness or the pain around them i think that's a very that's a very valid criticism of how that season is structured i i I don't disagree with that at all (laughs) yeah they need to be all like together in their own little fishbowl where they're punishing each other and you don't feel it in order for it to work maybe Yeah, no, I I think yeah, th- that that does make a lot of sense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I think there's 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 quite a bit to talk about talk about with like the sort of centerpiece of the episode that's the party, but the lead up to that I think is really great cuz that that's another great sort of establishment of like the gimmick of the episode essentially because like you know we were, were referencing like the kind of fight that that george michael and michael have right where he's like not listening to him and it was like you don't respect me man how can i respect you man it was a complex situation without an easy solution hello the caterers didn't show up i used the club they said we opened too much money i guess all those lunches i've got 50 people coming in three hours and nothing to feed them no one to serve it We have to make a good impression or we're finished. Now that's a clear-cut situation with the promise of comedy. Tell your friends. It was a complex situation without an obvious solution, which is like how the show is built. Everything in the show is complex. Nothing is obvious. And then immediately after that, Michael gets a phone call from Lucille. And like she says, it's almost like delivered in like a really like exposition-y sitcom-y way where she's just like, oh no, the caterers didn't show up to our event. We need to find these replacements fast. We have to make a good impression or we're finished. Yeah, cut to commercial. (laughs) Which is like exactly right. what you want, like like you know TV writing one hundred and one for network of like okay you're going into that second act break yep all right yep <laughs> raise the stakes yep know your exactly char- what they are your character spelled out exactly what's going on you know exactly what the solution is probably going to be so but you just got to come back from commercial stay with us and see exactly how it's all gonna play out like no complete nothing complex about this <laughs> yeah really spell it out for your dumb audience <laughs> exactly. Which is- yeah, like you were saying before, it's something that this show would rarely do because they know that you're smart and 
that you're going to get it. And so that like leads us into the party, which we've already talked about, like all the celebrity cameos and everything that you get just very quickly. They walk in the door. I don't think you like most of them. You don't even really like see in the scene beyond them, like entering like nope, not at all. I think it yeah. was probably like like there are a couple extras on the frame. Oh, yeah. Judge Reinhold is one we didn't mention, but yeah, he also yeah. appears in a later episode. Yeah, but like I think like, you know, Ben Stiller and Zach Braff, I think you see them walk in, but I don't know if you ever see them at all after their entrance. Like I think they're just gone. Like yeah. which I think John Larkett grabs a gift bag and he's out of there. Right. Which again I think is very funny because it is just yet another kind of fuck you or it's just like, <laughs> here's your celebrity cameo. Okay, they're not even they're not even there for the they final no sequence. <laughs> they no lines. They're not even standing in the background. We got him to shoot for like a half a day and now they're out. <laughs> like that's it. We're good. <laughs> Lindsay steps in as the caterer and like, you know, Being the good sitcom housewife, she, of course, makes raw chicken with a sauce made of the water that the chicken was thawed in. This is what you're making? Poached salmonella? It'll be fine. I'll just put the sauce on them. What kind of sauce is that? Wait, this is the water I thawed the chicken in. Oh, well, that should go with chicken. Yeah. Fantastic. That's great. Yeah, it it goes together, so that works. (laughs) Uh, beautiful. It makes me want to throw up whenever I see it, but it's so funny. <laughs> yeah, it looks, it, they did a great job of, I mean, I don't know if that's actually raw chicken. There would be no reason why it couldn't be, but it yeah. looks uh, so disgusting. It looks so disgusting and it's actually being like served to the, to the guests and everything. It's very funny. I think it's even funnier, like later on when they like, where like poisoning is mentioned, they all like look at their food, like <laughs> aghast. Like, I mean, were you going to eat it anyway? <laughs> like that's what clued you in that maybe you shouldn't eat the food. Not the fact that it's raw chicken on your plate. <laughs> oh yeah. I hadn't even connected. That's yeah. a good callback that, yeah, he's talking about poisoning the muffins, but really you have food in front of you that looks inedible. Of, of right. course you would not do well. Yeah, because basically, like, Michael figures out that his dad was that, like, muffin man from the 70s all along. Oh, my God, Dad. You're the muffin man? You poisoned 25 teachers during the 70s? Just the first two. The others were copycats. You poisoned Donnie, didn't you? We're losing them. Come on, come on, come on. Have your attention, my son would like to say just a couple of words about me. And that's when Michael noticed his own son. Well, not big. You came, huh? Yeah, well, it was wrong of me to say what I did about how I felt. I've done what I did. Now, you said what you felt, and maybe it's about time I did the same thing. So why don't we just let him express himself? Go ahead, sir. Um, I was going to say that you don't know who my father really is, and, and, and that what has happened to us is a great injustice, that we were never really given a fair chance. But that's not the truth. We've been given plenty of chances, and maybe... The Bluths just aren't worth saving. Maybe we're not that likable, you know? We're very self-centered. And my father may be the worst of us. So that, like, prompts him to give this big speech that originally was going to be, like, how, you know, everyone should save the Bluths and they deserve to be saved and saved and please give us money and please support our show and everything. And instead, like, it basically becomes him saying, like, we've been given plenty of chances, but uh, maybe the Bluths are not worth saving because we're not that likable, which is sort of like... This really interesting, like downer kind of, uh, 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 kind of accepting of acceptance of the fact that this show's just the show's just not going to work. It's going to get canceled. It got three seasons, but uh, you know, if if networks and casual audiences want people to be likable and want to have very simple sitcom plots, then like 
I guess we just can't be saved. This just isn't going to work. Like it's, it's just really, it's, it's an interesting sort of meta like take on the situation that they're in. Yeah. It feels like for the characters acceptance and for us as well, like they start in a place where they're scrambling to do, you know, whatever they need to like change themselves, uh, adapt, if they need to go to another raise money, another organization, another network, they're going to do that. They'll do whatever, but then kind of, yeah, stating that like, this is, this is our, you know, mission statement. Like this is who we are. We're not going to change ourselves because it wouldn't be worth it. Yeah. And that reminds me of the way when Conan was on NBC, knowing he was going to get canceled and he wanted to, yeah, go out on a high note, both of like a fuck you, but also mm-hmm. uh, like maintain the the character and the consistency of what he'd been doing and also have some fun with it. Like he, I remember he was bringing out like a Bugatti on the show's dime and like playing the Rolling Stones, like two incredibly expensive things to have on a network TV show. Yeah. And yeah, it, it just feels like that rest development like made the choice like, okay, we could sh- we can show you our journey of accepting this and like, Hey, maybe you will too. Yeah. Yeah. Like there's, there's freedom to it almost. Right. Like when you know that, like we're going to get canceled anyway. Right. Like it's almost like if you're like working a job and you are are about to get fired or you've already quit or something, you're just working those final two weeks or something. Like it's just sort of like, I'm, obligated to be here you're obligated to like let me be here and do my thing but also like i don't really care anymore i'm just kind of doing my own thing because it doesn't matter so there's a lot of freedom in that you really can do whatever you want and like to the show's credit like they wrap up all of their storylines in the next few episodes and everything it's not like the whole rest of the show is a big fuck you to the audience but this episode is allowed to be because who cares like it's not this the show's gonna be over anyway you know yeah they're definitely not taking an approach of like you know senioritis checking out not doing the job that they're there for but they are speaking to the people who are fans of the show or as they're betting and bet well that will watch the show on DVD mm-hmm. and kind of saying like, okay, yes, we're going to go out and we're going to be ourselves and do it exactly how we want and not have tried to contort ourselves. And, and this, you know, that's consistent with Mitch Hurwitz saying later that he didn't want to, you know, they could, they could have had like 22 minute or 29 minute uh, episodes but also like mm-hmm. shorter seasons and less money and that it was just easier to be themselves and have things end and that's okay yeah but then also things can be brought back for more money later on on netflix <laughs> exactly 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 you know it's all there's all like there's all there's a cynicism to all of it that <laughs> weirdly like works for the like this is a pretty cynical show so like it weirdly ends mm-hmm. up working for it at the end of the day you know yeah yeah it's 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 very interesting the acceptance of it all is just extremely interesting to me i wonder was there anything similar in season four or five that acknowledged the show being brought back and that it was <sighs> probably for money because i feel like God. that would be something that they should have done if they didn't do. God, it's been such a long time since I watched it. Um, I feel like there was some kind of acknowledge- like they would they they did at least acknowledge like the time passage between the seasons at certain point. There there was jokes about that, like especially you know it was supposed to pick up right after season three and everyone's older. Like I know that there was oh, jokes. Oh, that's right. Yeah. There the, were jokes. The dramatic of, George Michael aging. <laughs> right. There were jokes about that. And so I, I feel like there were also kind of accompanying jokes about it being picked up somehow, but I just don't, 
like there's something like that's like kind of right like right in my brain that, like mm-hmm. I feel like I can think that there was a joke but I just can't remember exactly what it was. It makes me want to rewatch yeah, it. I think again. the fact that it's not like so memorable, I think they might have shied away from it a little bit because yeah. who knows how that season was going to be received since it sure. had been a while would be so different. Yeah, I don't remember. It does make me want to I mean, I want to I I every time I watch a select episode of this show, I'm sort of like I want to rewatch mm-hmm. Arrested Development because again, it is such a rewatchable show. Even, you know, even even at its worst, it's still like interesting to watch yeah and it's it's so easy especially this episode it's so easy to drop into yeah because you there it is serialized but whatever stage of like the legal process they're in it doesn't really matter for you like just having fun with the characters that's true it is fascinating that like as much of you know, the sort of complaint about the show being inaccessible to like audiences that would drop in, you know, because of how serialized it was. I do. I agree with you. It is surprising how easy it is to drop in on the show. You're not going to get all the gags and everything, but because it is a show that has a narrator that like calls, you know, if, if, if they are revisiting a previous plot point or something, the narrator's going to reference the previous episode that it was in or something. Like it's obviously more rewarding when you watch all of it and follow along with it. But like, yeah, I hadn't seen an episode of Arrested Development in ages turn this Mm -hmm. one on and like feel like I felt I fell right back into it you know like I think that the characters are so clearly well defined and like the jokes are so like mile a minute that like for for every joke that you miss or don't get or don't find funny there's gonna be one right after it that is really funny delivered by characters that are like very clear to understand from the second that they're on screen played by very good people that are all recognizable at this (laughs) point too so you know that helps yeah yeah they've really I think Portia de Rossi I mean, well, no, she was on uh, Better Off Ted, which I yeah. kind of really enjoyed. Yeah. But yeah, just about everyone has gone on to have so many good projects they've been a part of. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. The only other thing that I that I really had from this, I mean, there's lots of stuff in this episode, I'm sure, that can be talked about. But the only other thing that towards the end of it that, that I had is I really do just love at the end of the dinner party. The speech was disturbing. The food inedible and the gift bags pretty frightening. Oh, and then that old racist woman choked on Buster's thumb. All in all, it was one of the Bluth's better dinner parties. Ron Howard's contribution as narrator can never be like overappreciated. Yeah. He's so good at hitting whatever note he needs to and I appreciate that how flexible the show can be yeah. because of having a narrator to like, you know, with ADR jokes from cast members and with a narrator like that's how you get i feel like such a tight show with so mm-hmm. many jokes that you know it's in the writing it's in the editing as well where i think they would be honing things and i appreciate that mitchell would have been a little bit exhausted <laughs> because uh from what i've read it he like he was very very involved in making like the best product possible yeah no for sure for sure yeah, it's it's great. Yeah, I I agree that the the, uh, the idea to have a narrator on the show was like just a, a, such a stroke of brilliance. Like it would not it would not work without the, without a narrator, and it wouldn't work without a narrator as good as Ron Howard either. Like just the way that he delivers things. Yeah, and I don't have the memory of you know watching uh, Happy Days or anything like that, but I think it works for hopefully multiple age levels and sure. context depending on your your experience with sitcom history. 
Yeah, well, especially having your narrator, who, the voice you're hearing all the time talking about these people, be like known, like famously a very nice guy. Like he played mm-hmm. a, started out his career playing a nice child, played a nice guy in a sitcom and then has like, just like a nice director. Like that's kind of his personality as far as I know. And so yeah, to have so gentle and bright. Yeah. And to have that contrasted with just these like horrible, awful people on screen, like it's just, yeah, it's, it's, it's perfect. It's, it's great. (laughs) The music too, I think adds a great sense of like lightness of like, it feels like whistly. I think uh, I recently learned that one of the instruments is a banjo lele, I think, which is like banjo ukulele combo. But yeah, it it always (laughs) provides that sense of like lightness and uh, that none of this is to be taken seriously. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Including their own cancellation, <laughs> which I, <Yeah>. again, <laughs> love. They don't take any any of it seriously. Just in terms of a little bit of, I guess, context, the live segment, I was reading about how, like, 30 Rock would go on to do like, a couple of live episodes, which were very cool. But, like, at the time, it was kind of in vogue where like will and grace the year before had done it a couple of times mm-hmm. the drew carey show did a few times a few years before and then i think just a couple months before the west wing had done like a whole debate episode mm-hmm. which is like the jimmy smith's alan alda uh debate when they were having the election uh live which is uh, impressive but i'm sure something that was like heavily promoted yeah it's in to watch i wonder what yeah I, you know, I do wonder why that was sort of in the water at the time i know that the like er live episode was a really big one but that was that was years before like that was earlier right i think that happened and i feel like that one was very successful and i do and i don't know i'm sure that very some kind of variations have been done but i think like the scale of that show doing it i think was really unique and and i think the success of it probably was sort of like a proof of concept for a lot of other shows, but it is weird that I don't know that it happened like directly after it. I feel like it was years later than it sort of exploded within like sitcoms and stuff, especially, but all of it. Yeah. is always like kind of really gimmicky. Like, and it's always like, it's never as good as a regular episode because the, a whole appeal of it is that they're doing it live live and they're going to flub some lines and it's not going to be like as perfectly rehearsed and everything. And I love Arrested Development's take on it because it is like the tail end of the episode. It's the on the next Arrested Development segment part. On the next Arrested Development, the Bluth family gets some good news. They're all sending in donations. And you know what the key was? What? Your speech. It didn't sound desperate. Well, I, I guess it really doesn't pay to be desperate. It sure doesn't. Thank <laughs> Let's not celebrate yet. We still got the West Coast feed, guys. As by all the the only part that we see that is labeled as live is just Lucille's one line. It sure doesn't. Like, you could assume that the whole yeah. last scene was live, but they only have the live symbol up for that one line, which I kind of think is hilarious. <laughs> it's just the one and line like the is camera live. work is different than it feels yeah. like that's all it is. Which yeah. always confused me because I'm just like, well, I'm I'm seeing it on DVD. They must have had the fuller scene. But I was like, no, no, no. I think that's it. And no. immediate, like it's delivered. I love Jessica Walters' delivery, where like she's not she's not even keeping it together, um, because she knows kind of like what a joke it is. Yeah. But yeah, I I, I like that it's uh, intentionally a little disappointing because. Yeah. What were we going to get out of this that benefited? Like, like, 
what does live really do for us? I don't, I don't think it does much. Yeah, not, not this show. It's like the, the big finale of the episode presented live, and it's one line. I don't think it was actually presented live either. I think that was like all that's all fake. Like that was just yeah. the one take. But I love like she does it. She starts laughing. They all cheer like party. It's like don't worry, we still got the West Coast folks. Like it was such a hard endeavor to, for this like <laughs> one like three second live part of the episode. It's it's great. I love it. Again, it's just such a fuck you to the audience of like here's the thing that you know that that we're promising you and we're gonna give you like the worst version of it basically <laughs> i can almost guarantee that that line from jason bateman like it very much feels like an adr line which yeah. the show would do a lot of when someone's yeah. back was returned like they would be constantly like tweaking the jokes whenever possible um in a way that i think really works and i think yeah it, it just adds to the case that this was not an actually live segment <laughs> Well, cool. Any, I know that there's, you know, there's, there's a million jokes in this episode because it's so dense. Is there anything else you wanted to touch on? Anything that was sticking out? Anything you want to talk about before we start wrapping up? Oh yeah, I just love uh, the the newscaster. They they cut back to like an old report from uh, John Beard, mm-hmm. um, where it's like him in the '70s and he's got like huge hair and <laughs> like he's talking about the Muffin Man, and then they just like tack on a joke about cappuccinos That's right. like, like the advent of them coming to america and just his delivery is so fantastic because he pronounces it cappuccino and <laughs> this 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 like i think both his smugness in saying uh and wait till you see what it costs like <laughs> and then holding on that for as long as they do i think just creates i don't know it was indelible in my mind is as whenever i, I see like a cappuccino yeah. i always think of that pronunciation oh that's it's such a good joke it's such a good cutaway yeah and it's like it's the kind of thing that like evokes so many things that i've seen on news you know where it's just like the the sort of mocker mocking nature of just like this newfangled thing that's clearly not gonna last and it's like facebook or something like it's (laughs) you know it's like no y'all always get it wrong every time it's i think we're also saying the same thing right now still about coffee i imagine Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. Oh, yeah. No, that's a great added layer, too. Like, yeah, isn't, isn't, wow, you're spending how much on a Starbucks drink? Like, yeah, this has always been how it is. This like, new pumpkin spice latte. <laughs> oh, and one more, one more, like, future star, I guess. I don't know, like, mm-hmm. comedy actor. Um, He's briefly in this episode, the actor who plays the surrogate, uh, George Sr.'s uh, guy who would, like, go around and like be in places for him. Uh, that's um, Bob Einstein, who was on for so many years on Curb Your Enthusiasm. Oh, I thought I recognized that guy. Okay, cool. Dang, this episode. This, you know what? I guess they weren't lying about the cavalcade of stars, were they? <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Even more in retrospect. <laughs> Oh man. Oh man. Well, thanks so much. Thanks for getting me to uh, revisit it. I probably will end up watching more Arrested Development again for the first time in years. Now that there's been some distance after yeah, the, the, I might the last just like days. continue on from where I am and then maybe check out season four. Not, not the, the not chronological cut. cut. Yeah, no, can't stand it. I hate that. That's like the main one that they have listed on Netflix. Like you have to go oh. into like, yeah, like that's what automatically plays. You have to go into like the extras to go into the original version. Cause I guess they want to hide it for some reason, but like, 
it's not uh, i think it's objectively better but whatever that's my opinion i guess but <laughs> hot take hot Let's take know. season four rest of development hot take <laughs> yeah well thanks so much joel it was awesome to have you on here if anyone wants to find you anything you're working on where's the best place they can find you yeah you can find me uh on twitter at joel k arnold and if you want to listen to a podcast all about entirely about the cats movie from 2019 uh, that podcast is called Ineffable, a Cats movie podcast. <laughs> beautiful, beautiful. That sounds fantastic. Uh, truly a movie that you can just talk about forever, I guess. <laughs> really. Yeah, so, <laughs> so much to dissect there. It, it, <laughs> I, I'm always finding more. I love it. I love it. Well, thanks again. You can find me on Twitter at Derek B. Gale or on my other podcasts, Walloping Web Snappers, a Spider-Man podcast, which does deep dives into every Spider-Man cartoon ever made and Falling with Style, an ongoing Pixar movie marathon, monthly podcast that dives into every Pixar film chronologically. You can also follow this podcast at Gimmicks Pod on Twitter and Instagram for some extra goodies and email me your questions, feedback and corrections and responses to my hot takes about Arrested Development Season 4 to gimmickspodcast at gmail.com. Please rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on all platforms. And until next time, friends, keep being weird. Hot ham water.